Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. This week, our title is Radical Release. And this very much follows on from what we were talking about last week when we spoke about radical righteousness. And um, I'm going to start this morning by recapping a little bit of what we said, because this really is a part two to the part one that came last week. And uh, I think it would be really helpful for us if we just pause for a few seconds before I start to speak And let's ask the Holy Spirit to just come and take my words, which are just human words, in a normal human voice, relatively normal, into something that will grip our hearts and shape our lives. So Father, we want to thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it's full of authority. Thank you that it's full of power to change lives. We want to thank you for what we have already learned last week about your radical free gift of righteousness. But I want to ask this week, Holy Spirit, that you really help us to tune our ears to what you have to say to us. Would there be um, great fruit to be born out of what we're here today? Would you, would you come and lead us into truth? Would you come and show us the things that we're to take away with us this morning that are going to impact us in our families and in our town in this next season together? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start by reading um, from the Bible. I'm going to read a little bit of Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read all of Romans chapter 6. So uh, that will be the first thing we do. And then we'll talk a little bit about what happened last week and how we answer the question that was posed at the end of uh, last Sunday morning together. So let's kick off. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Let's fast forward to verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, 
Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how, we, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive, through, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realise that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So last week, as I said, we looked together in Romans 5 at the radical righteousness that is ours when we place our faith in Jesus and we commit to make him the Lord of our lives. We spoke about in our, in our natural state, uh, Paul describes our condition as being in Adam. 
slaves to our sinful nature, and how even on our best days, we're a million miles off from earning righteousness in the eyes of God. We compared that to being in Christ, which is the phrase Paul uses to describe followers of Jesus, and how these two states, in Adam and in Christ, have no crossovers. We just show this little... Here we are. So we looked at Venn diagrams last week. You remember that? It was so, so educational last week. But being in Adam and being in Christ is not a Venn diagram. It goes like this. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. It isn't that we're a little bit in Christ, but we could do some good things ourselves just to push us over the line. That's not it at all. We're either in our old sinful nature or we are in Christ. That's great news. And on our best days, those of us who are in Adam, we're nowhere near being righteous in God's eyes. But for those of us in Christ, on our worst days, we're still in Christ. And you remember us saying that we, we can get really bogged down in guilt and unworthiness in a way of thinking that can just paralyse us because we base our, it's easy for us to base our acceptance by God on our performance. And this is something which we said last week that um, is very much in our culture. You know, our, our value and our worth can very often be based on our performance, particularly in the workplace, particularly this year if you've gone back to work and someone has given you a target. 2019, thank you for hitting your target in 2018. We've, we've doubled it. Yeah? And, uh, and your performance and your worth, or sorry, your worth is now um, a result of your performance, how well you're going to do against your target for this new year. We spoke last week about how unless we understand the difference between justification, which is accepting God's free gift of righteousness, and sanctification, which is the ongoing process of living a life which honours God and becoming holy, um, then we'll always be caught in this, this trap of feeling unworthy, like we're not doing well enough, that God probably can't accept us anymore because we've had a bad day. We said some things that were clumsy. We've, we've done some actions which were just downright wrong. We've come home and had an argument with our spouse. We've snapped at the children. Um, we've kicked the dog who's just bought one. You know, and um, Such negative thinking can bring us spiritual paralysis. We need to know that we're accepted by Jesus. And we we finished last week by saying this this radical gospel that Paul preaches, that there's nothing that you can do yourself to earn any kind of righteousness or favour with God, is really offensive to people, particularly people who place great pride in being self-made men and women. Because this gospel says, well, there's nothing that you can do there's not, not a shred that you can do to make yourself right in God's eyes other than having faith in Jesus and proclaiming, proclaiming him king of your lives. And because this gospel is so offensive that to the unbeliever it's very easy to misunderstand the gospel that is preached to end up with this question. Well then, if, if you're saying our good deeds don't matter, it doesn't matter how well we try to do, it makes no difference anyway. Well, why can't we say that we'll follow Jesus and just keep living as we were before? 
start of chapter 6, um, and Paul says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And one of the things that, uh, that we'd identified is that is the mark of true gospel preaching, that that question is forced to the top. What, you mean there's nothing I can do to put, put myself right with God? Nothing at all of myself? No, that's right. That's absolutely right. There's nothing that you can do. Our ongoing sanctification, this act of um, becoming holy, living lives which honour God, is a result in our hearts of the justification that we received. It's saying, Jesus, what you have done for me is so amazing that I want to live a life that pleases you in every way. The sanctification is a result of a heart response to justification that's been received. Once we're saved and once we're in churches particularly, we don't tend to hear Christians ask that question very much. And actually I believe that the witness of the Holy Spirit stops us asking that kind of question because we know our heart's response has got to be to honour honour our king, honour the one who's saved us. But here's a question that we probably do ask. And it's probably a question we ask to ourselves rather than we ask one another. And it's this. Thank you. How can I actually be set free from the power of sin in my life? How can I actually be set free? We might say, yeah, I I trust Jesus. I believe he's my saviour. I really do want to follow him. I really do want to honour him. But I feel that sin still has a power in my life that's real. I can't wish it away. Um, what, What do we do about that? I can't shake off my previous sinful habits. I can't shake off my previous sinful thoughts. Attitudes are evident in my life before I knew Jesus are still rise to the surface. And Paul has some direction for all of us who may be asking these kinds of questions. And I believe um, what I want to share with you today is, is, is practical. I really want to be practical with us. Uh, and applicable to each one of us. I want you to know that as I've been studying this week, ready for this morning, that I'm preaching this at least as much to myself as I am to everybody else who's with us in the room this morning. This is not a message from Paul of, you've just got to try harder. You've just got to do better. Paul actually gives us here some spiritual tools that we can work with. So here's the first one. Know the truth. You'll have noticed that as you uh, listened to me read Romans chapter 6, there are various little phrases uh, in, in verse 3, do, do you not know, or in some, uh, some translations, have you forgotten? Verses 6 and 8, we know that. Uh, verse 9, we are sure of this. So Romans 6 verse 3 says, have you forgotten, that's a New Living Translation, Uh, some versions say, are you unaware, do you not know, that when we were joined to Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. 
For we died and were raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. And there Paul is describing our identification with Jesus in having died, died to Adam, died to our old sinful nature, and being raised to life in Christ. And that's demonstrated in the act of baptism. That's one of the things that you may remember when we do rock solid together. We just talk about what, what's baptism all about? Is it, is it just something symbolic? Or is there a deep spiritual truth going on in baptism? There's a deep spiritual truth in baptism. There's an identification with Jesus as we die to our sin and are raised to new life. Verse 2, Romans chapter 6. Since we have died to sin... How, we, how can we continue to live in it? Who is Paul talking to? Let's look at another little diagram on the screen. We've got these three groups here. We've got, got those who are in Adam, and we've got those who are in Christ, and we've got this group at the end who are the spiritual elite. Surely those are the people, the super-Christians. Maybe they're life group leaders. Um, no, Paul is not talking to a spiritual elite. Paul is talking to everybody who is in Christ. That means if we're listening to these words this morning and we're trusting Jesus as our saviour, then Paul is talking to us. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? There is no third category. One of the features of dead people is that they are no longer under the power of sin. I don't know whether you've ever seen a corpse or seen a television programme where there's a dead person, but one of the things you notice about the dead person is they're not getting up to any mischief. <laughs> dead people do not sin. And it's a real... Um, it's a very blunt description, isn't it? You know, if, if we know Christ, we are dead to our old nature. Not, not, not ill not a little bit under the weather, not quite all there like we used to be. No, gone, it's dead. We are dead to our old nature. And we need to know this together. And we, we really need to know this. What Paul is saying here is that um, when we do sin, it's not so much about a lack of willpower. It's more about not knowing the truth not really knowing the truth. Let me tell you, a few years ago, I did some, uh, did some examinations to get my uh, diploma in financial advice. So boring. As part of that, you have to learn all sorts of case law. So various tax law. Uh, you know, there was a case of the Inland Revenue against you know, Joseph Smith, 1927. You've got to learn the case. You've got to learn uh, the judgment that came out of it. If someone asks you a question about it, you've got to be able to repeat it once for an exam if they ask you and, and, and lots, of, lots of bits of knowledge that you need to take on board to pass an exam but I can honestly say they never went into my heart yeah, they never changed my life they, there were things I thought okay I just need a way of remembering this this week <laughs> I will never use that information again ever usefully in my career unless I take another exam Okay? That, that's not really knowing something. 
That's, that's taking in some information for a short period of time. You know, I don't have many brain cells. I need to be really careful about what I choose to fill them with. Yeah, and that, that wasn't one of them at all. So we can, we, can, we can kind of know things, but we can actually really know things. We can know things in a way where we take them into our hearts, where we are able to repeat back, not just an exam week, but repeat back any day of the week, what it is that we know to be true. And this is one of those things. We have died to our sin. We can help ourselves to know things by speaking God's truth over ourselves. Last week I told you that I, uh, I, I felt like a proper preacher when I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones during a sermon. Two in two weeks. <laughs> Because he said this, have you realised that most of people's unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So here are some, thing, some of the things that we, that we might say uh, and listen to ourselves saying about this one. Oh, I've messed up again. I can't really pray today, not, not after what happened this morning. Call myself a Christian. I'm not sure that I can. Whereas we can talk to ourselves, we can speak God's truth over our lives. Yeah, I have died to the power of sin. I have died to the power of sin. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. I am set free from the power of sin. I live in triumph over sin because of Jesus. Even at the point in our lives when we, we are facing the old temptations, the habitual sins, the, the attitude that comes into our minds, which is, we know is destructive. If we know the truth, we can repeat back, hey, I've died to this. I've died to the power of sin. I'm living in triumph. This isn't for me. Here's a second thing that Paul says that it can help us with. Count ourselves dead to sin. This little phrase, to count ourselves or to consider ourselves, it's different in different, uh, tr- different translations, or to reckon ourselves, is a little accountancy phrase. Okay, where, 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 where do we count ourselves? Where do we put the tick when we are... Um, when we're weighing our lives. Well, if we're in Adam, ticking the box, we're compelled to follow our sinful nature. When we're in Christ, ticking the box, we are dead to sin. That is where I'm going to count myself. When I get up on Monday morning, who am I? Yeah, I'm dead to sin. That's a good start to the day. Let's look at the next one. In Adam, we are a slave to sin. We have a master. It's sin. It's our sinful nature. And everything that we do if we are in Adam is serving that sinful nature. But no, once we're in Christ, we get up on Monday morning, we can tick the box. This is how I consider myself. I'm a slave to righteous living. I'm going to choose today to live in a way which honours my new master, which honours Jesus Christ. This isn't having a positive attitude. 
This isn't trying to think ourselves better. It's not a mind over matter event. This is an acknowledgement of a state of affairs that has already happened. So it's not a, I'm going to try to be um, alive to Jesus today. I'm going to try to be dead to sin today. It's not that at all. It's a, I am alive in Jesus and I am dead to sin. It has already happened. That was accomplished on the cross. We are dead to sin. We can choose to live in the good of that today. A few years ago, uh, Sharon and myself and Tim, we took a short trip to visit my cousin, who was living at the time in Cyprus. And we left home. It was in March, I think. It was just before Easter. Uh, I've got the first little photograph. There it is. You might recognise that little fella <laughs> when, it, when it used to be sweet. <laughs> but uh, we, we left on a really cold day. It was about minus five. It was, there was snow on the ground. And we, uh, we set off. And we set off in our coats and our hats and our gloves and our big practical shoes for being in the snow in this country. And um, we drove down to Stansted Airport and it was a tedious journey because there was ice on the road. And of course, then you get onto the aeroplane and we got onto the aeroplane and the captain came on over the tannoy and he said, uh, we are going to go to Cyprus today, but not yet. We're going to be delayed because the plane needs to be de-iced. And they needed to spray the plane so that all the little bits, can't what you call them, that control whether you're going up or down on the wings, uh, work properly. We, we were quite glad that they were taking the care to make sure that, uh, that everything on the plane worked well. And we sat there for probably about an hour and a half. In the air-conditioned environment of the cabin, you know what they do when you get on an aeroplane, you, you sit and just breathe each other's germs for, for as long as the journey takes. So we're there in a nice climate-controlled environment, but we're being told, look, it's freezing outside, everything is frozen up here, we can't go until the problem's been sorted out. When we arrived in Cyprus four or five hours later, still sitting in the air-conditioned environment of the cabin, the captain comes over again. He says, well, welcome to Cyprus. Outside temperature is over 20 degrees. And uh, the environment had changed. We weren't feeling any different because we were in our air-conditioned aircraft cabin. But it's 20 degrees outside. Now, we, we could have chosen to look back to our previous state of affairs. You go, 20, but no, it's not, it's minus five. I've got my fleece on, I've got my coat ready to go, I've got my big shoes ready to go. Because after all, that was what we were used to. But instead, we chose to believe the captain of the aeroplane, who said, the environment outside has changed. There was a new way of living. A way of living which in that case meant we got rid of the fleeces and the coats and the long trousers and we ended up with... Okay, I know you don't need to look at my legs for any more than is absolutely necessary on a Sunday morning. But, but to me, that was a picture worth taking because we'd been so cold the day before and we got up the next morning and it was just glorious. We lived in the new environment. We, we believed what the captain had said. Here's the third thing. Take responsibility. Take control. Romans chapter 6 and verses 12 to 14 say this. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. There is an instruction for us here. Remember this, we have a new master. It's no longer sin, it's Jesus. When in Adam our sinful nature was our master, it had been since our birth, and we served that master pretty well. Now we're in Christ, we have a new master to serve. So Paul is saying, now remember, we are slaves to Christ. That is the relationship. In so many places when Paul is writing his letters, he describes himself as Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, doesn't he? As slaves, we choose to please our master first. This is our priority. And one of the things with the word priority is it starts with prior. It's the first thing we do. So if there's any part of our body that causes us to sin, we should choose to take control. Paul explains uh, in chapter 6 of Romans that sin needs an instrument to work with, to outwork itself. He says, don't let it be you. Don't let it be your body. Don't let it be our tongues. If, if our old nature, we were people who were prone to gossip, prone to criticism, prone to the snide and unkind remark, Cut that out. Take control, he says. If our previous sinful nature causes us to use our hands badly, perhaps we've just always had a problem with taking things that don't belong to us. Maybe we've always had a problem with taking the best for ourselves. Would you like a cake? I shall have that one because it's the biggest one. If that's an attitude that needs to go, then Paul says, take control. Take control if we're dealing with sexual temptation. Lustful behaviour that's in the wrong place. Take control of our eyes. Make sure that the things that we're choosing to look at are going to be things that we know will please God. We're not being called here to walk around blindfolded (laughs) because we know there's nothing in this world that will please God. That's not true. I don't believe that we need to have that kind of attitude. But we will know ourselves what our trigger points are. We will know from our own experience the things that we find difficult, that we are tempted by, that perhaps no one else is. And other people are tempted by stuff which we just don't really have a problem with at all. But whatever those trigger points are, Take control, take responsibility, deal with it. And there's a tension here because we have our new selves, our people who are found in Adam, but we still have our old bodies. Our bodies are not yet completely redeemed. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. 
What if we were to say there, this it makes clear that our obviously redeemed lives are of God and not of ourselves. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, but we are citizens of heaven. That's where we, that's where we live, where we belong, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So we've got new selves, but we are still living in these bodies which are going to die at some point. At that point, Jesus will make everything new. Everything will be restored. We won't have to live in these old bodies with the old temptations and the old faults. That's great news, isn't it? So here are the three things that Paul says. Know the truth. Count yourself dead to sin. Take responsibility. Imagine a prisoner in a cell in prison. And he's been there for many years. And he's captive and he's got bars all around him. And one day the prison governor comes into him and says, you're free to go. I'm no longer keeping you a prisoner here. And he opens the door wide. How strange it would seem if that man was to remain in the cell with its wide open door but bars on the three sides. How strange it would seem if you were to sit there thinking, I'm so unworthy, I can't really leave this cell. Only focusing on the three walls uh, that have held him captive for so long. As followers of Jesus, radically released from the power of sin, with a new governor, we're already free. And just as we said last week, this is a truth that we believe in our hearts and can preach to our friends and our family and preach to this town, and it's coming. But first of all, let's make sure we're preaching it to ourselves. Let's make sure we know the truth of God in our hearts. Know it and really know it. When Paul writes to Titus, he says this, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Then he says to Titus, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have authority to to correct them when necessary and don't let anyone disregard what you say. I believe that in this chapter, Paul has given us three really helpful tools, knowing and really knowing the truth, counting ourselves dead to sin, and also taking responsibility with the help that's given to us by the Holy Spirit 
to live lives that are for the glory of God. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Jesus, you said that we should know the truth and the truth will set us free. And we want to stand on that promise that you made. We want to thank you that because we are in you, we are truly free. The old has gone and the new has come because we are new creations in you. Lord Jesus, we give you our praise. We give you our thanks for that today. I want to ask that you help us as this body of people to know what it is to live in the truth of your word. To really have your words go down deep into our hearts, deep into our, into our minds, into, into our psyche, so that we know exactly who it is that we belong to. That we can celebrate daily the fact that we are dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to pray this morning that you give us um, conviction within our spirits if there are things which you are saying to us this morning we need to shape up, where we need to take responsibility. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that we don't do this on our own, but we do this with your help. I want to thank you that even this morning as we have been convicted by things that we've heard, that, that it is you, Holy Spirit, who are convicting us because you want the best for us, a life which pleases and honours our God. So at the start of this year, we commit ourselves to you in every way. Father, thank you so much for this um, radical gift of righteousness which you've bestowed upon us through your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that if we know you, we are a people who are really changed. And would you cause your your glory and your light to shine out of us, this body, in this year ahead. We give you our thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.